0: Well, the title of this sermon, as you see on the screen, is Trusting God in Everything. Trusting God in Everything. This morning, as Tim said, we will begin our mini-series on the Psalms of Lament. And so in the book of Psalms, there are different categories of Psalms. There are royal Psalms. There are wisdom Psalms. There are Psalms that are a call to worship. There are imprecatory psalms, and there are psalms of lament. Psalms of lament make up over 30% of the book of Psalms. So, what is a lament? According to Pastor Mark uh, Vrogop and from Sidney Gradenus in his book, Preaching Christ from Psalms, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads us to trust. Church, we need how to pray in pain. We need need to learn how to pray when we are in pain. And Psalms of Lament can help us reaffirm our trust in God in the midst of grief and sorrow. Laments were written when All is not well, and so emotions are expressed in times of deep sorrow or loss. Laments helps us to vocalize our pain, but it doesn't leave us wallowing in it. Laments move us towards God-centered trust. Lamenting is how we bring our sorrow to God. Without lament, we won't know how to process pain, and we won't know how to walk other people through sorrow and pain. Lament is how Christians grieve. Lament is a prayer that leads us out of pain and into trust and into hope of God and into the worship of God. Pastor Mark Brogoff, in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says this, to cry is human and to lament is Christian. And so it is a prayer language that God gives to us as we wait for him to intervene. It is a prayer to ask the Lord some difficult, and painful questions. A key element to a lament is a, is, is, is a complaint. And so you're talking to God and telling him that things are really hard right now. Laments helps us to be honest with God and what we are feeling inside Nearly all of the laments move from lament to praise. So what is the goal of lament? Well, the goal of of a lament is to cry out to God for help when in distress, and then rest in him, and then trust in, in him, and then hope in him, and then wait on him. This is what I believe is the the main burden of Psalm 27. God is worthy of our trust in every situation. I believe that's the main theme that courses all throughout Psalm 27 that God is worthy of our trust in every situation. And like other psalms of lament, David in Psalm 27 starts with declaring who God is, and then he moves to worship, then he moves into lamenting, then he ends with waiting on the Lord. That is the broad stroke of Psalm 27. There are seven ways that we can learn how to trust God in Psalm 27. Here's the first one. We are to trust God because he is sovereign. Look with me at verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, King David does not make it clear what kind of situation he was in when he wrote this Psalm of Lament, but King David was not a stranger to danger. Since he was a shepherd boy, he spent the most uh, of years of his life as a boy in constant danger. Being out in the field, he was vulnerable to predators. In 1 Samuel, verse 17, David told King Saul that when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, he went after him and struck him down. And if he rose against him, David said, he caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. As David was anointed as king, King Saul and his men pursued him constantly, to take his life. In 1 Samuel 23, it says that King Saul took 3,000 chosen men to chase down King David. Now, these men weren't trying to just capture King David alive. No, they were trying to kill him. So there is no doubt that David When he wrote this psalm, he was in deep sorrow and grief, fearing constantly. So let's look at how how he lamented. This is how he started. Unlike other psalms of lament, he started with who God is in his life. He says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And so in the midst of danger and sorrow, he didn't wallow in self-pity. No, he reminded himself of who God is in his life. In the darkness of his situation, the Lord was his light. The King James translates the word light as the source of instruction. Therefore, it was the source of instruction for his guidance and for his protection while he was being sought after to be killed. The Lord was not only David's light, he was also his salvation. Now, salvation in this context doesn't mean that he was saved from the wrath of God. Salvation in this context is meant that David was being delivered from his enemies, The Lord was his light and his salvation. The Lord was not only his guidance and protection, but he was also his deliverer. The Lord is not only able to bring you through and out of your darkness, but he's also able to deliver you from and out of your darkness He's able to deliver you from and out of what is attacking you and what's causing you to lament. Church, the Lord is worthy of our trust in every situation. So let me ask you this. Who are you looking to to deliver you from your present circumstances if you are suffering right now? Are you looking to self-medicate to deliver you from your present circumstances? Are you looking to food to deliver you from the anxieties that you are experiencing? Are you looking to video games and Netflix as a vehicle to escape from the present dark circumstances in your life? These things cannot deliver us from the darkness of life because they cannot. They were never meant to deliver us from darkness. Only God can. To David, the Lord was also the stronghold of his life. The Lord was his defense of his life. The Lord was his fortress. That's what the stronghold means. He was protecting David from danger. Now, notice the result as he placed his confidence and trust in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, church, when we make the Lord our light, our salvation, our stronghold, we will not fear in the times of darkness. We will not be afraid in times of darkness. Everyone in this room has experienced fear at one point or another. Fear Can be a dark shadow that can cover over us and can ultimately imprison us into or within ourselves. Have you ever been imprisoned by fear? Maybe the fear of rejection, perhaps the fear of being misunderstood. What about the fear of uncertainty for the future? or the fear of sickness, or the fear of death. How does Psalm 27 teach us how to conquer fear? It is to, it, it's, it's by putting all of our trust in the Lord, who is our light, who is our salvation and our defense. And it it's by putting our complete trust on the one who can lead us and guide us through and out of and from our dark Circumstances of our lives. It's by putting a complete trust in the one who can deliver us from our trials, church. By putting a complete trust in the defender of our lives. Romans 8.31 says this. What then shall we say to these these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Church, one way to move out of lamenting is by trusting God in every situation, in every day of our lives, because he's sovereign over all of our situations. Here's the second way we can trust God. We trust God in our adversities. Look with me at verses two and three. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, My heart shall not fear, though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Here, David describes the severity of the danger that he was facing. David is picturing the men who were after his life as wild and ferocious animals waiting to devour him. And when his enemies surrounded him and encamped against him, because the Lord was his protector and his deliverer, it was though it was them who will stumble and fall. Does it ever feel like sometimes that all of the troubles of life are drowning you? Does it ever feel like life itself is swallowing you you up? Does it ever feel like all the evil spiritual forces of this world are encamped against you? Well, Church, when you place your complete trust in God, the result is you will not be, be afraid, you will not fear, and you will be confident. Why? Because it is they who will stumble and fall. You see, our God, our light, our salvation, our defender, our stronghold is able to make the spiritual forces of evil stumble and fall. Notice what David says about his enemies. God is able to make them stumble. God is able to thwart their evil plans, and their evil schemes. God is not only able to make them stumble, but he's also able to make them fall. For David's enemies to stumble and fall, this double negative, it means complete defeat. Therefore, church, whom shall we fear? Whom shall we be afraid of? Inside a radius of one mile around my house, I have five sexual offenders and two sexual predators living around me. One, just two streets from where I live. And those are the only ones who registered in the system. There have been people that have been found dead. There have been people that have been shot and killed not too far from my house. Just last month, we had, we had people breaking into cars that were parked on my neighbor's driveway to steal valuables. At times, it feels like evildoers are coming to attack me and my family, but I refuse to live in fear because my God is my light, and he is my protector. He is my stronghold, and it is them who will stumble and fall, church. Church, if, if God is able to completely defeat all that is attacking us, then God is able to bring down the walls of hostility in our homes. God is able to completely mortify the temptation of pornography in our bodies, in our lives. God is able to completely bring reconciliation to broken marriages and damaged relationships. God is able to provide for your family. God is able to heal your sickness. God is sovereign over all things. He is in complete control of every detail of your life, no matter how bad your life is spinning out of control. He is able, church. God is worthy of our trust in every situation. In the midst of darkness in our lives, we are to trust God in every situation, but we are also to pursue God consistently. Look with me at verse 4. Point number three we are to trust God and seek His presence. Verse 4 One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Church, when you are suffering in the darkness of your life, what are you tempted to do? Where are you tempted to go? Where do you go to find peace and safety and comfort? Do you go to the bottle? Just a side note, when it comes to medicine, I'm not saying don't take them because God can use them as a means of grace, but don't depend on medicine as your ultimate savior, as your ultimate defender. Do you go to your computer, do you go to your phone and spend time on social media to escape? That's all that's happening around you. I don't know about you, but when I go through something scary and difficult, sometimes I don't want to pursue God. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah. It's, it's hard to even read the Bible because all of these things are falling apart around my life. It's hard to even go to prayer because sometimes it feels like God is so far away. Church, hear this despair leads to hopelessness, and hopelessness leads to fear. David, during the time when he was pursued and his life was threatened, he asked the Lord for one thing. He asked the Lord for one thing when his life was threatened, was being threatened, constantly, incessantly. He asked the Lord for one thing. He says this, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is the thing that I seek the most, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. Church, when things aren't going well, we must draw near to the Lord. David uses four terms to describe the house of the Lord. He uses the, the term house, temple, shelter, and tent. You see that in our text. What we know about this, this text is Bible scholars differ, differ on what these terms mean, Was David referring to the tabernacle that he had built in Gibeon? Was David referring to the tent that he built to house the ark of the Lord? We don't know what he meant. Regardless of what David referred to, the one thing that he asked of the Lord is, is to be where the Lord manifested his presence. His one thing was to have continued fellowship with the Lord all the days of his life. David's greatest desire in his life, his one thing, was to live in God's presence each and every day of his life. Let me ask you, church, what is your one thing? What is your one thing? What is your greatest desire? Do you look forward to being in the presence of the Lord? Why does David want to be in the house of the Lord? Well, he gives us two reasons. It is to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple. To gaze upon the Lord's beauty is to gaze upon his kindness, his pleasantness, his delightfulness. It is to gaze upon his graciousness. What does David want to dwell in the presence of the Lord? Because it is the only place of true safety. It is a place of refuge from any attacks. It is a place of protection. The second reason is this. It's to inquire in his temple another translation uses the word meditate in this temple and so to inquire or to meditate in the lord's temple is to seek the lord to consider what the lord might do in the present circumstances to seek the lord is to reject going about the situation in your own strength and in your own way with church Our ways are full or riddled with flaws, but his ways are perfect. Therefore, church, let that one thing be the desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. As we we put our complete trust in the Lord, we must be proactive in our pursuit of him. Here's the fourth one. We are to trust God for our future troubles. We are to trust God for our future troubles. Look with me at verses five through six. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Notice David's confidence and trust in God's help. He knows that the Lord has delivered him from danger in the past, so he is trusting in the Lord for his future deliverance. If the Lord is able to deliver him from danger in the past, then he is also able to deliver him from danger in the future. Listen, church, listen to this. When we meditate and consider God's faithfulness in the past, it will change our outlook for the future. If we meditate and think about the greatness of God in the past, it will transform our perspective on our troubles in the present and in the future. Why? Because when trouble comes, the Lord is able to hide us in his shelter. He will conceal us under the cover of his tent. This is metaphorical language. When David and his men were pursued by king and his men in 1 Samuel 23, God protected David by calling back King Saul to fight with the Philistines. And it says on, in, in verse 29 that David went from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So what is En Gedi? En Gedi is a, it's an, it's, it's an oasis in the middle of the Qumran desert. Notice in that first picture, you've got the desert terrain, but you 've got this lush strip of area in the middle of this desert. It's an oasis in the middle of a desert. I often wondered, what does that look like? Does it look like a swimming pool with palm trees? It looks even better. In Getty has three waterfalls. The tall one there is actually called David's waterfall. In this picture you can see Chung'o refreshing herself at the streams at the bottom of David's waterfall. David was hid from Saul in Engedi. The Lord protected him and concealed him under his cover. Not only that, God provided for David and his men. This is a picture of an ibex. The background behind him is the Dead Sea. Church, this is a rugged terrain. During the months in the summer, it gets very hot and very dry. In fact, the Dead Sea is drying up in exponential levels. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's drying up. It's severe terrain, but the Lord kept David hidden and safe, and he provided for David. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Lord's protection over his people is pictured as a mother bird protecting her young by hiding them under her wings, and I love this picture of God because it communicates how God is his heart for his children. He loves them. He loves us like a mother does. It's different than how a father does. It, it, he helps us to, to really see the intimate details of how he feels about us. He protects us like a mother does. When trouble comes, where would you rather be? our trouble is that in our in our in our natural tendency we tend to go elsewhere don't we we tend to trust in people and we run away from the protection of god when we run to god david says that he will lift us up upon a rock. Church, isn't this what we need when we are in the middle of sorrow and danger and grief and pain? Don't we need the Lord to lift us up upon a rock? We need to be lifted up over our troubles of life. We need to be lifted up from shaky ground. We need to be lifted up and placed on solid ground. The Lord is not only our light who leads us and guides us out of and from the darkness of life. He is not only our salvation who is our deliverer. He is not only our stronghold, our refuge, our shelter, but he is also our protector. And he's able to defeat the enemies or overcome all the troubles of your life. He's able He's able, not only is he able to defeat the enemies or overcome the troubles of our lives, he's able to lift us up above them all. Do you hear that, church? And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. The lifting of one's head above the enemies is another expression of triumph, complete triumph over those who were defeated. Do you get the connection? Are you with me, church? Notice David's stubborn trust in God for his future deliverance from his enemies. Church, we can trust God for our future deliverance because there is no other God like him. Church, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, then what can be against us? Church, God is worthy of our trust in every situation, in every day of our lives. With this kind of trust in God in every situation, It doesn't lead to despair, but it leads to worship. It leads to worship. He says, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Church, when we put our trust in God, when we put our trust in God in every situation, when we place all of our confidence in God in all of our present circumstances, we will not fear, we will will not be afraid, but we will be confident. Why can we worship with shouts of joy? Why can we sing and make melodies to the Lord during our sorrow and our pain and our trials and grief? because he is our light in times of darkness, because he is our salvation in times when we need to be delivered from our times of darkness. He is our refuge in times of danger. He is our protector in times of attacks. Church, when we place our complete trust in God, there will be no longer any fear. There will no longer be anything to be afraid of. We will become confident in the, even in the world which seems to be crashing down around us. Why? Because God is able to defeat anything and everything that is bothering us, that is attacking us, that is troubling us. He's able to deliver us. That is why he's worthy of our trust. There is no one other than like God. There's no one powerful. He has no equal. He has no rival. Here's the fifth way that we can learn to trust God. We are to trust God because he's faithful. He's faithful. Do you ever feel like some days that you have the right knowledge of who God is? God is faithful all the time. All the time he 's faithful, but yet he 's so far away, it just seems like he 's silent. Notice notice David 's devotion to God. He continues to trust in him, even though it seems like he 's not answering his prayers. David saying. You've been my help in the past, but right now, there seems to be no help in sight. You ever feel that way? You have the head knowledge, but in your heart, you're like, you're just sinking, and you're struggling, and God seems distant, and he seems like he's silent. It seems like he's not moving, and there's nothing, no improvements in your current situation. That's how David felt. Look with me. It says, hear, O Lord, when I cry loud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Notice David's petition for help. Notice his single devotion in asking God for help. Sometimes when we cry out to God, it can seem silent. He can seem silent, can't he? Sometimes when we cry out to God, it seems like our cries have fallen in deaf ears up in heaven. Sometimes it can seem like even our earnest prayers go unanswered. Sometimes we can feel like we have been neglected by the Lord, even we, when we were doing the right things of pursuing Him in His Word and praying every day. We can still feel neglected. In our dark times, sometimes it seems like He has, he has hidden His face from us. Sometimes when we are in the thick of sorrow and grief, we can feel forsaken by the one whom we are pursuing. It may even seem like all our loved ones, all those who we can trust, have forsaken us and we are alone in this. Oh, church, don't mistake God's silence for unanswered prayers. Even though you may not hear him, he is at work to redeem and restore and renew. Church, don't mistake feeling lonely for being completely alone. Even though you might fight, you might feel that everyone around you has abandoned you, you are not alone, church. God is right there with you. Don't mistake by being in sorrow and grief that God has forsaken you. Sorrow and grief are a part of life, and God knows that. And He knows that you need Him. He has not forsaken you, and He will not forsake you. You see, Jesus Christ cried aloud on the cross. But God turned His face away. God the Father turned His face away from His son, Jesus Christ, who was in agony and in pain. Jesus was forsaken at the cross so that we can be forgiven. And because we have been forgiven, God will take us in in times of sorrow and grief and darkness of life. Now it's not clear what David meant when he said his father and his mother forsook him. Maybe he was alluding to their death and they can no longer be of help to him. Church, this is why we must not put our trust in man, but in God alone. People can fail us and forsake us, but for those in Christ Jesus, God never will. God never will. Church, this is why God is worthy of our trust in every situation. Point number six, I need to move us along. We are to trust God because he's our only defense. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out Violence with David's unwavering faith and wholehearted trust in the Lord for his deliverance he now prays for God's wisdom here we see David lacking wisdom in how to engage his enemies we find him praying for God's wisdom Are you ever tempted to go it yourself to fix the situation You ever tempted to go it alone because you feel like you know what to do and you know better? I have, and I'll be the first one to admit that is no wisdom at all. Here's the wisdom of David. He not only trusts in the Lord and desires deliverance from his enemies, but he also desires to learn the ways of the Lord. David wants to walk according to God's will. David wants to follow the leading and guiding of the Lord. Why? It's because of his enemies. Without the leading and guiding and the protection of God, he and his men will be destroyed. The enemy's weapon? False charges intended to discredit the king. The anointed king. That was the enemy's weapon. Does this enemy or these enemies sound familiar to you, church? When in sorrow and grief, do you hear the lies of Satan? Are you tempted to believe the deceit? I am. I'm often tempted to believe that I'm not good enough. I'm often tempted to to believe that I don't have the abilities to do and to accomplish all that he has called me to be a husband and a father and a pastor. Often tempted to believe that deceit. Listen, when we face or focus on our current circumstances and our situations and not on our light, our salvation, our stronghold, our protector, our deliverer, that is when we begin to fear. That is when we begin to feel afraid. We need God to teach us, church. We need God to lead us on level paths because without him, we will mess it up. And we don't need help messing it up, do we? We need God to lead us on a straight path. We need God to lead us in uprightness. We need, God to lead us in, uh, we need God to lead us righteously in navigating through the circumstances, the messy situation, so that in our conduct, we will glorify God. Here's the last point, and this will go quickly. We are to trust God for our future deliverance. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. I believe, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. This is how he ends his lamenting. I believe, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, church, rather than taking matters into your own hands, we are to wait on the Lord. David gives us a clear picture of of believing and waiting on the Lord with expectancy. Maybe you are in an extended season of being single. Maybe you are in an extended season of being barren. Maybe you are in an extended season of not knowing what the future might bring. Maybe you're in an extended season of waiting for this promotion that is that you've worked for that is well deserved. The Lord's ways can be mysterious at times. In a lot of ways, we cannot understand the ways of the Lord. Sometimes we don't get to see the answers to our prayers in this lifetime. We we pray for a spouse that is dying with stage four cancer. I have a friend who's praying for his little son who's dying. And in God's loving, mysterious ways, we don't get that answer that we want. Sometimes that answer is no. Our loving Father will not say yes to something that is contrary to his will, with it, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in some instances, we do get to see the Lord's answer to our prayers on this side of eternity. You see that term, the land of the living, is this lifetime. It's, the land of the living is in contrast to Sheol, which is the, the arena or the realm of the dead. So, so David, King David believed that one day he will get to see the goodness of God in the midst of his mis- most difficult days. David was confident that God would see him through in the most difficult circumstances. In his faith of God's deliverance, what do we find him doing at the end of his lamenting? He waits. He waits. What does waiting for the Lord look like? Well, we wait in humble submission to the Lord's will and his perfect timing. We are to wait in continued confidence in the Lord We are to look to him with dependent trust, which enables us to be strong and confident and courageous in the midst of our times of suffering. Waiting means to hope with anticipation and expectancy, not resignation. In conclusion, church, waiting for God, it's not easy, is it? Especially if you're in the middle of the darkness of life. Often God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. Sometimes we can feel like God doesn't understand the urgency of the situation. That kind of mentality reveals that we don't believe that God is sovereign and in control or that he is fair. But God is worthy of waiting because he often uses waiting to refresh us, to renew us, to instruct us, to sanctify us, to teach us. Waiting is not always pleasant, but one thing we know for sure is that our future is certain and secure. Church, this is why our God is worthy of our trust in every situation. i gonna invite the worship team to join me on the platform. We'll, we'll just respond in worship as David did, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of his life being threatened, and we will conclude. Father, we thank you that you have given us a language of lament. We thank you that we, you have given us a way to express our sorrow and our pain and our suffering in words and that you are not troubled by that. Father, thank you that the Psalms of Lament doesn't keep us in grief and sorrow, but it does move us. It ushers us to trust and hope and worship the Lord even as we wait for you to answer our prayers. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you because you are faithful, you are good and trustworthy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let's sing. Would you stand with me?